What is the Podcaster Matrix? The Podcaster Matrix is your source for podcast media hosting. Get your entire podcast library hosted now at podcastermatrix.com. Welcome to Small Business Saturdays. The Small Business Saturdays podcast. With your host and my husband. And my dad, Aaron Montgomery. Join the conversation. Let's talk some business. Good morning, good morning, good morning. Welcome to Small Business Saturdays. My name is Aaron Montgomery. Our successgroup.com is where you can find me. Had an awesome uh, conversation yesterday morning with Julie Fredrickson talking about social media through live video. So well worth checking out. We will have the show notes up on that today over at tworegularguys.com. Please feel free to head over there later today, or you can find it over on the Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash tworegularguys. That's the number two regular guys. Great information yesterday. Really enjoyed talking to Julie and, and thanks to her again for her time. All right. Very much appreciate Tanya connecting me with Julie. Uh, she was fantastic and and uh, just like Tanya is. So thank you guys very much for that. Uh, hopefully we were able to bring some really great information to people. You know, obviously I've been doing this for three or four years now. I learned things yesterday that I was like, darn, I should be doing that. Yep. Oh, that's a good point. Awesome stuff there. And uh, yeah, we're going to talk a little sublimation today. With our conversation about sublimation here today, a couple of things that I want to make sure that I'm clear about because I've been told by somebody I'm near and dear to that uh, I don't always come off the right way. <laughs> my, my wife, in fact. I want to preface what I'm talking about here today. I'm talking about sublimation as your business for profit, the centerpiece of your business. Sublimation is what you want to be doing. And that's the main focus of what you want to be doing. And you're doing this as a business. And you're doing this as a business to make profit. You're doing this as a business for income. The things that I want to talk to you about today, I believe are important. Now, with sublimation, the greatest part about it is there's a ton of different ways to get to the same result. There's you know different things that you can use, different tools, all sorts of different things that allow you to make a cool sublimation product. Not all of those tools, though, are the most efficient. Not all of those tools are the most economical in the long run, even though they might seem like it to start. I am completely open and I know lots and lots of people that make these things work. Todd and I have had this discussion numerous times on live videos and, and off live videos about the you know, OEMs versus you know the purpose built. And, and we're going to talk a little bit about that. But so None of this conversation is in any way, shape, or form to talk down to anybody about what tools they're using, how they're getting there, all that other stuff. I just want to give you some tips of some things that I've learned over the years from seeing, you know, people starting off with the, you know, very small printers and, and doing just fine and making money, what they're doing versus people that have gone up. You know, I've worked with, I know, I've sold, I've been around people that are doing 100 plus inch wide with, you know, $60,000 presses, $100,000 presses, and, you know, $50,000 printers and, and things like that. So I've just been really blessed to have an opportunity to see all sides of it and to see, 
you know, what makes a difference in sublimation printing? Because here's the trick with sublimation printing. It's a digital process. So like so most customers, most people that don't know the inner workings of the process, you know, you guys hopefully know a decent amount about the inner workings of the process, especially if you're already doing it. Most people don't understand that it really doesn't matter if we make one or if we make a hundred thousand, if, if you are already buying at kind of the biggest scale, you can buy the blank products at, then you've, you've got that efficiency, that savings of, of cost. Um, so the, the actual process itself though, doesn't matter if every single one's different, if every single one's the same, your process is still going to be the same. So it's important that if you're trying to be in sublimation to make a profit, that the things that you improve are improving the spoilage, meaning that you're ruining the least amount of products that you can, uh, because sublimation is a bit of an art. And, and, and we'll talk about that here with, you know, why some things don't always turn out. Um, and so fine tuning your process and getting it dialed in. So you're going to make a lot more money on a product that you do all the time. That's like your bread and butter type product because you're going to be more efficient at it. You, you, you know exactly what your equipment does. You're dialed in. You're ready to go. So that's where we can save money is by being able to produce more per hour and by being able to reduce our uh, spoilage, our, our waste. All right. So the, then, then the next step up from the desktop type printers where you can start saving some money is when you get into the ink. All right. So um, just to give you a quick idea, um, you know, a, a sawgrass ink, if you do the math on it, basically comes out to about $250 a liter, or I'm sorry, $2,500 a liter, around about there. It's been a little while since I've actually done the math, so they may have changed their pricing slightly since then. It would, now, now, in the grand scheme of things, when you're starting out, you know, that's totally fine because, you know, if you're making something that's about yay big, that's still less than about 25 cents in, in ink that you've used there. But when you get up into the wide format stuff, the 44 inch, the 64 inch, the 100 inch, the that kind of stuff, and you're buying enough ink, you can get your ink costs down. I know people paying $60 a liter for good ink because that's the trick. So, and in fact, let's start off there with, with that. So, um, all right, got Todd, good. I'm glad that uh, it was just Facebook. Facebook doesn't like me this morning for whatever reason, maybe, or, or it's you, I don't know. Okay. All right. So let's start off in the, with the first one here and it, it's about ink. So this question that I've heard, how does third-party ink differ from OEM ink? So first let's tackle what OEM ink is. Uh, OEM stands for original equipment manufacturer. Basically it means, are you buying the ink that was made for the printer that you're using or are you buying ink that was made by either somebody else? Yeah, well, third party. So you're, or you're buying ink that was made by somebody else to go in that printer. Um, so with this, here's how they differ. And again, we talked about the fact that, you know, if you're 
using a sawgrass system, your urine costs are a bit higher. Now, does that change the amount of profitability you can have? Not at all. You can be very profitable with that, with that, because again, even though it's it's somewhat expensive, you're getting quite a bit out of it. Now, as you're doing more and more and more products, you've got that's the next lever to pull, so to speak, where you bring that down. Now, um, here's what happens though: people will go out and they will purchase a, a printer. Um, you know, Todd's doing this, and and he's said before that you have to kind of look at the printer a little bit as a disposable type thing because after a certain amount of time that ink because it's not made specifically for that printer the print head hasn't been and, and this is what the print printer companies with their original uh, oem inks do is they actually tune the print head they they make sure that the particles in their ink are of such a consistent size that they come out of their print heads exactly right Whereas somebody else that doesn't have the access to be able to, to get that stuff, they're going to have an ink that maybe the particles are a little bit different. Some are bigger, some are smaller. Sometimes those particles will get clogged in your print head. And then you've got the process of trying to unclog your print head. Here's the deal. It, it totally, totally fine and, and totally get it. And if that's where you're starting out at, perfect, please do that. I've seen lots of people be very successful with it. But my caveat is this. Please understand that at some point, that ink is going to cause that printer to need to be replaced. All right. And so, because if you go and look at some of the sublimation groups out there and, and, and see what people are talking about, I bet you can't go more than five posts without somebody posting a uh, nozzle check pattern on and uh, saying, how do I clear this? I've got my 7720 or what? Yeah, so I think that's one of them, 7720. Um, and it, you know, it's it's not working. And then, you know, what ink? And oh, yeah, it's, you know, $20 ink off of Amazon. That's that's where <laughs> you kind of go, well, um, unfortunately, your, your solution, the only solution that I've ever seen anybody, you know, yes, you can pump different solutions through there, do all sorts of different things. And so there's ways. So I'm not saying that there's not ways, but how much time now are you spending on that? How much time are you trying to figure out why you can't get a good nozzle check? I would rather be able to just turn my printer on, hit print, and uh, be able to make the product that my customer needs. All right. So again, not talking down about any of that. I, I totally get it. Here's one that was kind of a little bit of a head scratcher for me, though, is somebody I saw somebody that went and bought an eco tank uh, printer. I think it was about six hundred fifty dollars. And then they spent twenty dollars on a set of sublimation ink that they put in it. And I mean, it wasn't more than a month and the printer already was not working. <laughs> and, and guess what? That that ink company was long gone, probably don't speak a whole lot of, of English, unfortunately, and uh, they're not going to be able to do anything about it. So just, just beware. Okay. I'm not saying don't do it. I'm not saying you can't do it. I, I, I'm just saying if your business is centered around sublimation, think about 
the whole thing as an investment versus what the cost is. And I know that sometimes we're not able to make that investment. Then you got to start being creative. You know, is this investment worth it? If I am buying a $200 printer every six months, how long do I have to save to be able to buy a $1,500 printer or even the, what is it, SG500 now? Um, you know, again, I'm not this like Sawgrass fanboy. I, I think that they make a decent product that works and you can be very profitable with it. Um, Epson has their own purpose-built printer now, the uh, F570. And the ink cost is actually quite a bit lower on that comparatively. And then you get into other printers. As long as the people selling the ink are willing to back up their ink versus the printer that you're putting it in, then you've got a lot better chance of being able to use that on a regular basis. All right. So again, I will go way down a, a rabbit hole and sound like I'm talking down about the third party inks. There are some good ones out there. Um, I have not personally done a lot of testing on them, but uh, from, from very good sources that I know and trust, uh, Cosmo inks uh, sound very good. Um, Todd, what's the, what's the one that you use? And I just totally escaped me. Um, anyhow, Todd will help me out here, but, uh, the, so again, there. I'm not saying that every single OEM ink, but if you're out there buying the, there we go, Cobra, Cosmo. Um, the, so, but if you're out there just shopping for ink based on the price, just be aware that it could do something to your printer. And then Murphy's Law is always the time that you finally get that big job that you've been hoping for is the time that you're going to get a printhead problem. It, it just seems to go that way. So, um, all right, let's see here what we've got. Angela, good morning. Thanks for joining us. And Sarah, same to you. Good morning. Thank you so much for being here early on a Saturday morning, early-ish. <laughs> all right, Todd, uh, Amazon and eBay Inc. seem to be a big cause of issues. Stick with a reliable source like Cobra Cosmo and uh, OSG. Uh, we don't sell ink, Todd, but <laughs> I know what you're talking about. Um, Cobra, there we go. Thank you, Chuck. Appreciate it. So Todd says, the other issue is the major ink cost between the two, Epson third party and Sawgrass. Yep, totally get it. And this has always been my argument. Are you looking to move your business forward and make it a full-time success that not only supports you, but also can support your family? Todd Downing and I launched our success group. Our mission is to provide resources that empower business owners to achieve their idea of success. What we learned when Todd started his own decorating business, and I was a pioneer of the industry's first podcast, was people were hoarding all of the information, or it was just disorganized and had no basis in real results. Both Todd and I saw really nice people fail because they didn't have the basics and a foundation. At the 2019 Dax Tenley Park trade show, we met for the first time face to face and the conversation turned to this very problem. What we soon discovered was a similar passion with different areas of strength. Todd brings the day-to-day -day know how, making things easy to understand, and also breaking down the how-to step-by-step. -step. I bring impactful ideas, 
lessons from the wide range of people I have worked with over the years and a foundation of business principles to build upon. We don't want you to struggle to launch or grow your business. We want you to thrive, hit the ground running, and be good citizens of your market. If you are interested in learning more and would like to get some free resources, just fill out the form over at oursuccessgroup.com forward slash empowered. That's empowered, E-M-P-O-W-E-R-E-D. Again, oursuccessgroup.com forward slash empowered. I get the ink cost, but how much ink are you actually using to be able to save the difference in ink costs over a long period of time. If, if you're doing that, you know, if you're putting out a thousand items a day, then it totally makes sense. If you're putting out, you know, 20, 30 items a day, it's going to take a while to make up that difference in ink cost versus the cost of the printers, the cost of um, potentially ruined blanks, because the other thing I see with a lot of these cheap uh, Amazon, eBay, Alibaba type inks is um, the fact that their colors are off. Um, you know, there's no color profiling available for those things. You know, things like Cobra and uh, uh, Cosmo, they've got color profiles that they've done for those inks too. You know, so not all third party inks are bad. But if your only purchasing decision when it comes to inks is based on the cost, it's it's a buyer beware situation. And so that's it. That's again, I'm totally aware of the fact that I want to make sure that I'm coming off correctly here because none of this in any way, shape or form is a, a talk down to anybody. If If you have those cheap inks, then and you're making it work, then you're way better than me. I, I would not be able to pull that off. So it's the opposite of that. But I just want you to be aware and be prepared, you know, be, be understanding of, you know, is there something else out there that could could help me? So, um, yep, Todd says, if you hope for anything based on price, you have to hope the customer service is there behind it. Correct. So again, that's not to say that that the, most cost-effective, the, the cheapest product is going to be the best. But you, you, like Todd said, you also have to make sure that, you know, it's somebody you can talk to. So if you see that ink, reach out to them before you buy it and ask them about a color profile. Ask them about what happens if their ink clogs the printhead. And if you get a response and it seems like they're willing to help and, and you feel like you can connect with them and contact them, cool. Then Then go for it. Get the cheapest ink. But if it's not there, if you don't hear back, if you know there's a no return policy or what, whatever the case may be, then then just understand that now that's on you, okay? And and you've got to take responsibility for that and, and be able to work through that on your own. Um, all right. Uh, to all right, cool. So we're gonna we're gonna stop with that. Let's see here. Angela says started on Epson seven uh, 7720 and got sick of fighting them and bought the SG-800 and love not having to fight with printer and ink issues. Perfect. Andrew, that, that, that's, that's the exact story. And, and I appreciate you sharing that. Um, you know, again, lots of people have made it work and, and yes, you can, you can make money off of that. And, 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 and I'm sure you, you know, as much as you had to fight with it a little bit, you were still able to put out some, some of the stuff I've seen you put out there. I, I know you've put out some great stuff. So, 
it definitely just comes down to a what what's my point am i is my point here to be in business to make profit and so i want to invest in a tool that i know i can count on when when i need to or is my point here to test it out to put my toe in the water to you know kind of more of a side gig then that's fine too but just be aware of what could happen all right tom good morning thanks for joining us all right so again off off of that so uh i think hopefully I've made my point. My point is just to be aware of what you're you're getting yourself into potentially. Not saying it's always that way. Not saying it's a bad idea. I, again, you know, my good friend Todd is is doing just that and he makes it work, but he understands that that investment side of it. The fact that there may be a need to, you know, replace the printer from time to time and, and things like that. So, um, Ah, so Todd even said, see, I didn't even think about this. That's a good point, Todd. It, this is something that goes uh, across the board. Again, you know, you can look at look at that kind of thing because here's the, so I said we we're going to be done with that, but now I brought up another point here because here's here's the re reality of, of the situation. A company like Epson, a company like Sawgrass, a company which aren't even actually printer manufacturers, most of the quote-unquote printer companies out there, they are not actually printer companies, okay? They are, are printer companies kind of like a razor blade, uh, shaving razor blade company typically is not in the shaver business, they're in the blade business. So they'll give you the shaver, so you'll buy the the blades you know that's why you can go get a pretty impressive printer for a hundred bucks is because they're not selling printers epson doesn't sell printers to make a profit epson sells printers so they can sell ink and they make profit on the ink but companies like epson and, and even sawgrass have chemists and uh big bloated uh distribution channels and you know, paying Shaquille O'Neal to be their marketing spokesman and all that other stuff. So yeah, their inks are going to be darn expensive. They, they've got all those costs to cover. Now, I wish they would figure that out and understand they could be a lot better stewards of their, of their space, but you know, that's a whole different topic right there. So yes, it's across the board. So just understand what you're getting, what the support is that's going to be involved. And, um, you know what, what the what the situation is on on warranty and, and whatnot. So, all right, cool. I think we've beat that one pretty good. Oh, Todd, stop. No, I'm just kidding. Even look at the regular desktop printers. A lot of times, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So you've got all of that, but it, you know, I still even with like a regular printer. Ha have had times where oh yeah i'll just go get the the refill cartridge or something like that and it's not more than six months later and maybe it's just me because i talk like this but um <laughs> six months later it's like oh okay throwing away that printer let's try again um so anyhow it just both sides okay becky says i have no problem spending money on sawgrass ink because it seems to last forever my problem is my eco solvent ink is more expensive and after 30 days or so the card communicates the cartridges are empty, even if they're half full. So then you have to contact tech support for new cards or buy new ink. I'm I'm certainly not uh, 
an expert in in the eco solvent side of things. I know Todd has found some sources that um, have allowed him to uh, really reduce his ink costs. And um, you know, again, I, I'm I'm all for getting the the best deal. Uh, I just want to make sure that. I'm getting the best deal and that I will continue to be able to use the tool that I'm using for my business. So, you know, Todd's had very good luck with uh, his, his eco solvent. Um, yeah. He's local sign supply distributor. Todd, would you mind sharing who your local sign supply distributor is that has the, the inks that you've been using? Um, 880 carts for $89 is what you said. So um, <laughs> Todd says totally karma getting you. Possibly, absolutely, <laughs> probably more more true than not. But again, I've had great success going with the direction that I'm talking about here myself personally. When that's been the focus of 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 the business and and what I'm trying to do. All right, all right, cool. So let's let's move along here because I do have other questions I want to answer, and I don't want to be here um, too long. This one's going to be slightly in the same. Um, Here we go. Yeah, all right. Well, Todd, you you keep going there, and I'll let. <laughs> I want the best color at the best deal. Oops, hit the wrong button there. For some reason, open my email. I want the best color at the best deal. Not having to figure out profiles. My reds, maroons, and blacks are great. Cool. All right. All right. Moving on. Why do I need to use sublimation paper? Here's the deal on sublimation paper. Um, the sublimation paper serves one purpose and that purpose is to get that ink from the printer into a heat press so you can have the ink turn into a dye and then transfer on to the product that you're making that's the only purpose it serves so why not just buy the cheapest paper possible and just use that well here's the reason the paper because it is that carrier of ink, if you just use a regular laser paper or whatever, you, you, you know, the, the regular paper you get from the office supply store, that paper is very porous. And, and even though you can't see it uh, by, by just touching it, by just having it in your hand here, if you were to look at it under a microscope versus sublimation paper, you would see that the surface of it is very different. So what happens is if you print sublimation ink onto a paper like this versus onto a paper like this, and again, here you guys will never be able to see the difference. I can't hardly tell the difference other than one's a little bit wider than, than the other from here you have to get it under under a microscope to really see the difference a sublimation paper is smoother it's typically got a, a little bit of a coating across the top of it because what that does is that sublimation paper keeps the ink up on top of the paper instead of down inside of the paper because when you get the ink down inside of the paper when that ink starts to turn into a gas the paper is going to block it from going this way. And instead it'll either go this way or it'll go this way. And when it goes this way is when you get the little yellows, you get some blowing out, you get some speckling, um, you'll get other stuff like that. 
if you were to take and print out the exact same image, and, and maybe I'll try this. I'm gonna write this down. Paper V sub test. Okay, if you were to print out the exact same image onto a regular sheet of paper versus a sublimation sheet of paper, and I will prove this because I have actually done this before, but I don't have that to show you. So I am gonna show you that, is you will go and transfer. And if you go and transfer for the exact same time, temperature and pressure, both of them to the exact same product, you will notice when you take the paper off that the ink on the regular paper looks darker and brighter than the ink that's left on the sublimation paper. That's because more of the ink is able to transfer off of the sublimation paper than it was off of the regular hammer mill paper or whatever paper that you're using. So paper, though it's just a carrier, it is also an important part of the process. So can you make regular paper work? Absolutely. I've seen it. I've done it. Um, I, you can make it work nine times out of 10, eight times out of 10. Um, but you're... A, going to have to be laying down more ink onto that paper to be able to get the same results as you'll get with sublimation paper. The same, if you were to look at them really close up, the one with sublimation paper is going to have more ink density. It's going to be clearer. It's going to be cleaner. Um, so so that's, that's the drawback. So that's why I would recommend always using a specific sublimation paper. They don't have to be expensive. Um, Condi's got some great stuff. All of the major distributors have, have some, some great stuff. That's not really terribly that expensive. We're talking, you know, 13, 14, 15 cents a sheet. Um, you know, and if I can get a whole bunch of things on that sheet in the grand scheme of things, this, again, this is a tool. This is part of, so if I've got sublimation paper, I can get it under there and I can have, I can be off in my time and temperature a little bit, and I'm still going to get good transfer because that ink doesn't have anything coming back. The other part is you're going to have a lot less ink blowout coming back the other way because th that's the next thing that I, I want to talk about here. But so that, that's the paper part of this. I, I always recommend if to use a sublimation paper um, of some sort. All right. So we'll leave that there. Da -da -da. Okay. Back to the eco solvent. Um, I trust the ink because it now what they are putting in their used machines, Fauna Eco Pure from Wensco. Okay, there we go. Cool. Thanks for sharing that, Todd. Todd says, I think regular paper is lighter as well. When you print a full page image, you will see this sub paper flat while copy paper will be warped. Uh, that, that does happen too, yeah, because again, regular paper is cheaper because there's less fiber in it um, and it doesn't have a coating on it. So I, I had the pleasure of getting to go to Nina Paper's paper plant one time and actually go through their paper university. It was a, a two, three day long where they showed us how paper was made. We actually got in their lab and I made my own paper and added stuff to it and blah, blah, blah. So it was really cool. And, and there's a lot more science that goes into the making of paper than, than I even would have thought. I thought it was just, you know, you slap some pulp down and, and, and away you go. No, they, they've got like, things that they put in it, um, different ways that the way the machine's moving and how fast it's moving and, and different things. So that way the grains fall a certain way. And I mean, it, it, it was totally impressive how much goes into it. And, and so 
that same thing happens here. We need to be using the right tools for the job so we can get a consistent product. I'm not ruining things. And I'm, I'm able to just, you know, know that, boom, I'm, I'm good. I can be a little off and, and still get a quality product and, and, and that kind of thing. So that, that's my pitch on the paper. Um, you know, the higher grade hammer mills and stuff like that, it's going to get a little bit better, but still the sublimation paper does have a, a, I call it a clay coating. It may be something a little bit different. I, somebody told me clay at one point and it, it made the most sense to me, but it's basically just a little bit of a, an extra layer on top that keeps that sublimation ink there. So it transfers. All right. Because that gets us to the next question here, which is, oh, yeah, I'm going to, and then I'll come back to that one. How do I know if I press my image correctly? Um, so here's, here's the way I, I look at it. So there's a couple of things. First off is my colors. If my colors are <clears throat> what I expect them to be, because what happens for a lot of new sublimators is they'll print off that first sublimation print and they'll go, oh my God, my printer's broken. What's, what's wrong with this thing? It, this can't be. It's like super dull. And, and the first question that the tech support folks always ask is, have you pressed it onto your product yet? No. Okay. We'll do that and call me back. They call back. Oh my God. Yeah, that's amazing. Okay. So you can't judge the print necessarily by the paper. There, there's some times where you can tell you're just like, yeah, that clearly has banding in it, or that clearly just isn't what would normally look like after you've been doing it for a little while. But for the most part, you can't tell from the print how your final piece is going to end up. So the best way to know if you press your image correctly is, is to understand what your colors are supposed to look like. Um, so if you, if, if you're black, and, and blacks are the most telling. And here's why. Black is made up of a combination of, of all of the colors, typically. And because of that, you you know in a area of black that you're actually transferring most all of the colors. And each color actually gases, turns into gas at a little bit different temperature. Some are lower, some are higher. So that's why 400 degrees became this like solve all for sublimation because they knew that all the colors were getting to that, that, that uh, final point. Now I honestly use 400 very infrequently because, because of the fact that if you're overdoing it, your blacks are going to turn Brown. You're going to, or a little bit reddish. And what's happening is, is those darker colors actually transfer at a little lower temperature. And once they are in there long enough, then they'll start to actually go the other way. It, it gases, it goes in there, but if that heat stays on it for too long, then those gases will sh shrink up and, and come back out. That, that gas is, is moving in there. And so it, the, the process of sublimation is getting the ink to the, the exact right temperature and then stopping it as soon as it gets there, you know, that's going to give you your most ideal press. So if your, your blacks turn brown, you're over pressing it. It's either too much temperature or in there for too long. Um, I would first start with reducing my temperature a little bit. If they're a little bit green, that means that 
there's not enough of the darks getting into it. And, and so therefore you have not had it in there long enough or at a high enough temperature. All right, so, so that's the way to know if your images have pressed correctly. Uh, look at your blacks. If the blacks are green, that means it's been undercooked or not uh, enough, so not enough time or temperature. If they're brown, it's too much time or temperature. The other good indicator of did you press it correctly is how much ink is left on the paper. If you're using a sublimation paper, you should see a substantially reduced amount of ink in the area where the, the item was. The area where the item wasn't, you shouldn't see a whole lot of, of difference there. So if you pull your paper off, you know, most people will just, it's hot, get the paper off and they throw it in the trash. I pull the paper off and I am obviously still trying to move it. I actually put it onto the trash face up. So it has a chance to, to cool. But then as I'm letting that cool, as I'm getting ready to inspect and do my quality control on the product, I look over at the transfer and I go, okay, how does the paper look? My echo thinks I'm talking to it. Um, how does my paper look versus how does my image look? And it's just that that quick check. But but you can actually learn a lot from your your transfer paper after it's done. So so that's the best way to know. Are your colors kind of coming out right? You, again, if your blacks are green, you're underdoing it. If your blacks are brown, you're probably overdoing it. Does that make sense? Any questions on that? Hi, I'm Kyleen. And you're listening to an episode of the Small Business Saturdays podcast. Do you want to subscribe to the Small Business Saturdays podcast? Head over to smallbusinesssaturdayspodcast.com. There are tons of ways to subscribe. Click on your favorite and grab all the information about growing your small business. All right, Terry says, I find the substrates also make a difference. Some take more ink than others. That's a really good point, Terry. Yeah, that's a fantastic point. Um, so some definitely will, um, but you should always still see a a much reduced compared to the, you know, so if you're doing full coverage and you've got a bleed area, um, the area that's being pressed should always still be noticeably different from the area that that didn't have the substrate touching it. Even some of the ones that, that take less, um, you know, so what, what what's happening there when the substrates take less is some of them have a little less depth than others. So if it's a hard surface product, the coating that's on it's not quite as thick, not not quite as uh, susceptible to the ink, so it, it can't take as much ink. Or if the polyester is really thin, um, that kind of thing. Uh, the polyester fabric's really thin, so there definitely is some of that. Um, but I always want to see a, a fairly substantial difference from the area that was touching the substrate versus the bleed area, if, if that's the case. If you're pressing the whole thing, then yeah, you got to remember what it looked like before you, you pressed it. Um, so if you're just like putting a logo in the middle of something or something like that. So um, yeah, good, really good point, Terry. Thank you so much for, for sharing that. All right, next piece that I want to talk about is um, do I need blowout sheets? And uh, Oh, that was Kyleen that uh, was on our success group page. Thank you, sweetie. <laughs> um, 
Yes, yeah, you, you pressed a mass the other day and we didn't get quite enough uh, temperature uh, or, or pressure, I think is what it was. <laughs> Terry, it's okay. I, I, I just, it was more funny than anything. Um, all right, cool. So uh, do I need blowout sheets? Here, here's the short answer. Short answer is yes. Uh, the, the gentleman who is the biggest proponent of blowout sheets, I believe, is, is David Gross from Condi. And I will be honest with you, if David says you should do it this way, more often than not, I'm going to agree wholeheartedly with that. All right. <laughs> um, there, there's not too many people that are as in tune that, that spend as much time actually testing, researching, figuring out the internal workings of everything than David over at Condi. He is uh, an engineer, uh, an engineer's mind and uh, sees things that I think most other people don't. And, and so, so that's the short answer. Here's, here's the longer answer quickly, hopefully. Blowout sheets are important because of what we talked about with, with the ink tr transferring into a, uh, a, a gas, into a gas format is that just because you got your paper laying that way, that doesn't mean that that gas is going to automatically just want to go down onto the surface. Like, like it, uh, like you hope. Now, hopefully most of it's going that way, but some of it will still get through the paper. You know, even, even the best sublimation paper has still got some pores to it. I mean, it's still, still porous. So ink is going to go the other way. And so over a period of time, that ink will build up onto your heat platen, onto other things. And that ink will transfer onto something that you don't want it to transfer onto. Now, remember when I had said early on that one of the best ways to make a profit with sublimation is to reduce the spoilage, reduce the amount of product that you accidentally ruin. <coughs> Excuse me. Grab it. No, we're good. So <coughs> if I use a blowout sheet, each time that's fresh, then I <clears throat> I can take that sheet and it can go into the recycle bin and I can, you know, trash can, recycle bin, hopefully recycling. When I said I throw the transfers into the trash, I, I meant recycle. So, <laughs> sorry. But that blowout sheet basically takes that excess ink that comes the other way and it just gets it off your press. And, and now, do I want to spend a lot of money on this? No, I, I want to find that this is where I want to go find the absolute cheapest paper I can find. Um, I actually spent way more time than I probably needed to the other day trying to find some, some good blowout paper. And uh, I actually um, found this. I'm going to put a, a link up to it. It's Paper Mart. And uh, this, I went and did all the math on, on all the different kinds of paper that they had to figure out if I'm looking for a 16 by 20 blowout sheet, what was the absolute best. I'm being a, a data hipster, I'm happy to share my uh, graph with you that I used to determine how much uh, each sheet was going to cost me. And this is what I came up with. I have no affiliation, no link with Paper Mart or anything like that. That's just what I found. I know Todd's talked about, he's gotten some stuff from Sam's, um, uh, you know, you can just go to the get get butcher paper. You basically just want some paper. If it can be recycled, that's even better. Uh, so the craft paper is great because it recycles really well. 
And um, so Paper Mart, it ends up being, and let me click on that. Let me throw it up there real quick. And then, um, oh, there it is. Okay. So it, it's, I think the size that I ended up getting, and I'm going to just pull it up. So I'm, I'm telling you the right information here. Come on. There we go. Size that I ended up getting, it was the 20 inch size, and then I'll cut it to 16 inch. Uh, ended up being $27 for a 1,625 foot roll. And the shipping ended up being about $20. So when it was all said and done, I think I was in uh, just a little over, uh, well, 27 plus about 20, so about $47. But it ended up coming out to like, I can't remember the, the math off the top of my head, so I'm gonna get it way wrong. But, but it was definitely the cheapest of all the stuff I could find. All right, so I'm just gonna leave that there. But blowout sheets, I think, are important. Now, can you reuse them? Certainly, you know, you just have to understand what you're doing and, and, and make sure that, you know, if you're kind of reusing stuff, are you putting it the same way? Uh, Todd says we use butcher paper from Sam's. Um, so, yes, I want to get as much value as I can out of the paper. But understand that every time I reuse a paper or I don't put a blowout sheet, um, some people like will use Teflon, um, but the Teflon, you, you've got to wipe it down each time and, and, and it holds the moisture in and, and can cause some, some bubbling around the edge, especially if you're doing metal and stuff like that. So I've never been a huge fan of the, the Teflon personally. I think just some, some, the cheapest blowout paper you can use um, underneath your item and over the top of it and just sandwich it in there. Um, if you're doing things that maybe don't take up your full 16 by 20 press, maybe you can just fold that over and then stick a couple underneath there. Whatever the best process is for you and however you can maximize the use of that, I'm all for it. But I would always recommend some sort of a blowout. All right. All right. So do I need blowout sheets? The answer is yes. All right. Let's see here. And, and this will be the, the last question that I have uh, that, that I came up with. That, that I see a lot that, that seemed a, a bit common. If you guys have questions, please ask them. If you guys have answers uh, and you wanna share the question and the answer, boom, all for it. I, I'm happy to, to bring all that stuff to light. Um, wanna try to wrap this up in the next 15 minutes or so if we can, but uh, if we need to keep it going then then we'll keep it going. Uh, Chuck says, I love watching David's videos. Yeah, um, David is a fantastic guy. Once you get to know him, he seems, a, uh, he, he just is a really caring guy and, and super smart. So I, I love, um, learning from David, any chance I get to like corner him and just kind of ask him things. Um, he sent me an email the other day that we should do another video together. Um, and, and I immediately got super excited. I just got to come up with a good topic so that way I can learn from him too. <laughs> um, so anyhow, good stuff there. Um, all right. So why do I get faded areas? So let me start with this. Um, and, and there, I've seen lots of different, uh, pictures and examples, but this was the first one that I found as I was searching through some stuff. I don't even recall who it was from. It doesn't really matter who it was from. And, uh, so they were, they were pressing a mask and obviously there's a, a few things here that I would personally be a little concerned about, um, myself, but let's, let's just, let's first talk about the faded area. So I'm going to leave that up. And um, so what sublimation 
is, the process of sublimation is it's a combination of two things that make it happen. And these th two things have to be consistent uh, across the entire surface of the, the item that you're decorating. And those two things are the temperature and the pressure. So what's happening in this particular scenario here is you see that that, that mass, that face cover there, has got a, uh, a binding around the outside of it. And that binding is thicker than the fabric in the middle part of it. And so what's happened there is you got more pressure on the binding area and you didn't get any pressure underneath that area where it kind of is, is attached to the fabric area. So the way to reduce that is to get your uh, pressure and increase your pressure. Uh, any of the fabric stuff that can withstand the pressure, the, the more pressure, the better. So a mask, I would typically press anywhere in the six to seven range. If, you're, if your press has a, a number counter like that, if you're using an air operated press, uh, that's typically about 60 to 70 PSI um, pounds per square inch. So that, that's well above medium pressure, you know, so three, four, five is medium pressure. You know, one, two is, is light pressure. The more pressure you can get on some of these fabric things, the better off you're going to be because then you're going to get even pressure throughout. The other thing that you can do is put like a um, heat resistant foam underneath it. So you get everything kind of up there and flat. And so there is even pressure on the surface. So that's how you, the, the faded areas basically are the areas where there's not the same amount of either heat or pressure on that. So some of the other things that could cause fading is if your heat press has cold spots in it that you don't know about, you know, so maybe you've taken a, a thermo gun and you've uh, tested your press and it's like, oh, it, it gets to 400, no problem. Well, a couple things with the thermo gun. Thermo guns are going to be, um, the, the Teflon that covers a, a press will actually get in the way and that dissipates the heat quickly because I can't get a thermo gun in on the substrate as it's in the press underneath it. I don't actually get a real accurate reading. The other thing that happens is that you may have an area in your press that doesn't heat up. Maybe the coil went bad there or, or whatever. Um, especially some of the less expensive presses, you you tend to have areas that are less heat than than others, and so that's the other thing that's going to cause your fading. So whenever you see fading, it it basically boils down to the fact that you didn't have good pressure, good even pressure there, and or you didn't have good even heat there. All right, so I'm going to take this mass picture off here. Let me see, we got a couple of condit. Oh, cool. I saw that, Becky. Um, you know what? I, I got the email, and uh, I thank you for reminding me. It's sitting in my email box, an unread email. That's what happens when I don't get to all my emails right away. I miss something. So that's a really good point. Connie's virtual open houses today. Not sure if you can still register. Um, certainly willing to give it a try. <laughs> uh, so we'll, we'll check that out. And oh, Todd, thank you for doing the math per square inch. There you go. So how much is that for a 16 by 20 sheet, Todd? Do that math. All right. Janessa, good morning. Thanks thanks for joining us. All right, so back to our why do I get faded areas. One other thing, so I will hit this mask back up one more time and just 
kind of point out a, a couple of, of things that I want to just share real quick. Um, up in the, what would be, as you're looking at, if you're looking at this mask up in the, the top right corner of it over there, you see on the binding where that pink ran off a little bit. Um, two, two things, two, two solutions for that. A, if you want to make sure that you don't have random ink like that getting over off on something, uh, there, there's two solutions. The solution I would look for is look for a mask that there's a reason why we chose to go with the black straps because I can press this so much faster with so much less prep time because I don't have to worry about ink getting on the black part because even if it does, that ink's really not going to show up. You'd have to really look at it to find it. You know, so even with the full coverage ones like like this, and that's funny on the green screen, we chose the black straps because again, you don't probably want, unless you're going to decorate the entire area, if I, I go back to this, I would have wanted to make the, all of these straps pink or put a little piece of heat tape there to, to cover that. Now, that's a lot of setup. That's That can be a lot of a pain in the butt. So again, for me, if I want to be efficient and make money, I want to be able to press, prep, press, and get the product out the door as quickly as I can, but still getting it right every time. So to do that, use a mask like this, where we've got the black edges or black straps, and then I go all the way off. You know, so th those are some of the, the tips, tricks there. Um, you know, just be aware of, of what you're getting. You know, again, I, I definitely can see, you know, decorating the whole thing and, and, and taking your design on over into the straps. Um, you know, that, that certainly makes a lot of sense. But if you're trying to do something like that, then maybe you want to look at a, a different option on, on your mask. All right. So uh, hopefully we covered the why do I get faded areas. If you guys have any questions about that or any comments about that, please let me know. Um, I need to send a picture of a mug. I'm not sure if it's heat or pressure. All right, perfect. Let's do this. Let me put, where did that thing go? Uh, there it is. Um, couple couple different, what, either way, you can use this email right up there, Aaron at MontcoConsulting.com. And um, let me get that banner off of there. Or the one down here, either one will we'll get to me. Um, the one below also gets to Todd. So if you want to reach both of us, uh, success at our successgroup.com, great way to reach us. Yes, please send that stuff over. If you guys have questions, want to send that stuff over, I'm happy to help. Um, fortunately for me, or, or unfortunately for me, <laughs> depending which way you've looked at it, uh, production-wise, I've spent plenty of time uh, in, in some production environments. You know, I, I've been fortunate enough for the last several years to get a... Um, opportunity to work with some folks that are putting out about 2,000 uh, orders a day. Uh, they're, they're doing wholesale sublimation over at Pick the Gift. And uh, I've had a chance to work with them back in their production departments and all that other stuff. So uh, I've seen ruining products on a massive scale. And uh, so there's not too many things that that uh, I go, huh, that one doesn't make a lot of sense. I mean, there's occasionally where it's like, yeah, you know, it's just a, a bad blank. It's just a uh, 
just happened and the next time it came out okay. So sometimes it is, but to make the most money in sublimation, the best thing that you can do is reduce the amount of blanks that you ruin. Um, you know, let, let's say you're doing slates, for example. Every time you ruin a slate, that's $10 down the drain, you know, something like that. So um, reducing your, your defects. Now, that's not to say that you're going to be able to always reduce it. We talked a little bit about some of these things along the way, but I mentioned early on that sublimation is actually a bit of an art because you you can do things completely right and there may be some very there's just so many variables to it pressure your um the heat the ink brand that you're using that's that's why it's so hard for these blanks manufacturers that's why most of them do say 400 degrees for 60 seconds but i'll tell you this 400 degrees for 60 seconds is very rarely the exact ideal time for everyone for that product so I can give I can give five people the exact same blank with the exact same instructions, and they're all going to get a different result because my time and temperature is going to be different from your time and temperature. So there is going to be some process of getting things set up. So if you're just trying to do a whole bunch of new products, then you're not going to be making as much money at first because you do have to figure out you are going to ruin some blanks because you have to figure out your time and temperature for your ideal press, uh, for your ideal production. So um, 460 seconds is a good round number to start with, but I bet you you're going to find that your colors pop a little bit more once you bring those, those down. Um, you're going to have uh, less ghosting when you bring those temperatures down a little bit. Um, I'm finding that for me with the press that I'm using right now, I've found a lot of success in the 385 to 390 range and on fabric stuff uh, in the in the 45 second range. Now, and, and some of the aluminum stuff even less, 30 seconds. So um, it, it's definitely gonna vary uh, drastically. So don't just take what the blanks distributors tell you is like, this is the only way to do it. You do have to plan on ruining some products, but that's part of becoming profitable. That's why it's important to find your niche, stick with it, you know, be, be the very best at, you know, making mugs. If that's what you're going to do, be the very best at doing drinkware, be the very best at uh, fabric items, whatever the case may be. But I would focus on those things. That doesn't mean you can't do the other things. That's one of the best parts about sublimation is you can probably, I, I think, the number that David Gross told me that they carried over there at Condi was somewhere close to uh, 15,000 SKUs that they have there at Condi. Now, I, I'm sure that you know covers all of the supplies and stuff like that too. I, I could be a little bit off, but I think the number was about 15,000. I know at Coastal, uh, sublimation blank wise, at one point I counted uh, over a thousand different sublimation blank products. So um, yeah. All right, so let's see here. Let me get some of the comments. Uh, <laughs> you know a thing or two because you've seen a thing or two. Yes, I, I feel like the insurance guy all of a sudden. Um, Becky says, I've been happy with everything I've pressed except for hardboard, so I'm going to aluminum dry erase boards instead. Yep, Becky, that's a that's a great share. Thank you for sharing that because that, that actually brings up something that uh, is worth sharing, I think, with folks. Here's the challenge with dry erase boards. You've got a, a, a polyester coating on the front, 
that is fairly static. There's not, not a lot of moisture in it. And then you have that hardboard on the back, which is basically a bunch of sawdust pressed together. And that sawdust pressed together, and, and I'm just really simplifying it. So it's not just sawdust pressed together, but that sawdust pressed together traps moisture in it. So when there's humidity in the air, it will get in there. And what happens when we're pressing hardboard is that the coating stays static, the hardboard part moves, it changes shape and form. And when, when, and so what happens is you'll get these little puckers in the, uh, in the actual coating because you are not, um, because that hardboard is actually changing in the press, the heat of the press is actually changing the surface of it. Uh, so hardboard is, is some of the hardest stuff to press because of that, especially on a bigger piece. On the smaller pieces, they don't move as much, but on those bigger pieces, like a dry erase board, they're going to move. So a move to aluminum, I think is a great idea because obviously aluminum is not gonna hold that, that moisture. The other thing you can do is um, pre-press your, your hardboard um, and uh, try to get some of the moisture out of it. Uh, I know some of the, that does a lot of hardboard, kind of those clipboard kind of things. And they actually store their blanks in a freezer, which takes the moisture out of it, which seems a little crazy, <laughs> but it, it's actually the opposite. So they, they put them in a, in a freezer uh, in a, and that's the only thing in the freezer. So it, it sucks all the moisture out of it. And uh, then they uh, match that up and they press it for a little bit longer. That, that was their way of doing it. I'm not sure I'd suggest that, but hey, uh, just telling you that I've heard lots of different things about that. So. Um, so yeah, that's the trick on hardboard. You got to get that moisture out of it first. So the hardboard doesn't move. You also need to get the, the pressure, um, pretty, pretty even, uh, you can't have too much pressure because you do then end up trapping the moisture down in it and the moisture starts to boil and that will cause some ghosting or, or, or bad imaging happening. So yeah, hardboard is a little bit of a challenge, but it's not, not that it's not doable. So if you ever want to go back and try it, you could try a couple of those things. Uh, which would work better, reducing time or temp first? Um, I, this is my own personal preference and this is what's worked best for me. Uh, so, and I don't, I, I, I'm, this is not something I'm, I'm saying from an exact science, something that I'm saying from the fact that this is what I've, what's worked for me. I will start reducing the temperature first, but not, not massively. I, like I said, I don't get much below 385. There are a few things where it's, it's, it's down below that, but I don't get much below 385. Um, but if I'm starting at 400, then yes, I've got room to go down to 385. Uh, if so, I always start with temp and then time. Now, ideally I'd like to reduce my time as much as possible. So I actually, and, and this is where you got to be willing to ruin a few blanks and, and really dial in your number is I go about this a little bit weird and, and maybe I could do it the other way, but um, because I, I start with, I want to get my temperature in the ideal range in, in the very minimum range, because then I can start reducing my time. Because the, the less time, um, yep, Terry says with 385, you can always add more time if needed. 
because all of these sublimation inks start transferring the, the, the chemistry that I heard. And then this is from an actual chemist that this was from a sawgrass chemist that uh, actually was in charge of designing the, their ink is that their inks will start gassing at about 367 degrees. <laughs> he said about, <laughs> which is hilarious. That, that's why I love talking to smart people, engineers and scientists, because they go at about 367. I'm like, that seems pretty specific. Oh no, that's, that's an about number. <laughs> so at about 367 degrees. And um, within that, uh, right, so that's when they start gassing. So if I'm at the 385 range, then uh, you know we can do things for that. I, I saw that uh, Ashley's on here, and I know they've got some pretty smart chemists and stuff like that, and in the stuff that they're making. So again, you know, talk to the smart people like like Ashley and, and her crew, and and find out you know with the inks that you're using, what what what's the suggestion? So anyhow, um, back to finally answer Chuck's question, I reduce the temp first. But then I try to maximize the temperature I can put on there without it turning brown or yellowing out the, the coating um, and, and then try to reduce my time because that's the other area that I can save money and, and produce more profit or be able to reduce my prices is by being able to make things faster. The more things I can make and the faster I can make them, the better off I'm going to be. So I want to get the least amount of time I can put them in there. But I also want to get the least amount of temperature so I'm not overcooking the inks and overcooking the substrates because that'll that'll make the colors better. It just makes for a better product and better finished product. All right. All right. Cool. <laughs> get a case, break into sections on the substrate and test till you get it right. I like it. Uh, Angela says, I have crooked eyes. I still struggle getting my prints on stuff straight. Wasted a lot of subs this way. Um, Angela, if you're if you're talking about the um, if if you're talking about like let's say I'm just putting a, a logo into the center of something, and so I'm not doing a full bleed, then um, then yes, that can be a little bit of a challenge. Uh, you know, getting getting a ruler out, getting uh, a straight edge. Um, you know, if you're doing a lot of it, I know people that do sublimation and use one of those laser systems that like a screen printer would use to line up things. So if, if that's the case, then, then yeah, just got to figure out a tool that's going to work for you. Straight edge, uh, you know, corner square, some things like that. I, I hear you. Um, fortunately, if we're going on shirts and stuff like that, you know, even if it's a little crooked, it does, it's not as noticeable. Um, so you got some things there. Now, if I'm doing, let's say I'm doing a piece like this, where I'm going all over, the best thing to do is when I print out my transfer, I make sure that I crop or I clip to the bleed area. Because when I set this up on here, and I'm gonna do it while I'm holding it up, so I don't have it as much. I can, I can kind of see, okay, do I have it? And I don't, because I'm just holding it up. But do I have about the same amount of space on all sides? You know, if, if this was just one big rectangle sheet, then yeah, I'd have, I, I might be kind of like this. But if I actually clip my print before I print it, 
and get it almost exact to the product that I'm transferring onto, I can get that straight a lot faster. So that does, and that also saves you ink costs. I always clip everything to the product before I print because it saves me ink costs. I'm not printing unnecessary ink uh, in areas where I don't need it. You know, so if now if it's a rectangle thing, it's a rectangle thing. Then that make it makes sense. But have some bleed area, but not enough to, uh, but not enough to cause it to be really hard to line up that, that I guess that's the trick there with the, with the getting it straight. All right, cool. Terry, nice template. Thank you. Uh, these templates do come with all of the masks that we have over at uh, motco.biz, which are, are these and uh, there. So there's my little quick pitch. All right. Uh, what do we got here? I think that's about it. Uh, what are the questions you guys have? Let me know. Uh, I mentioned motco.biz. I'd appreciate you guys going over and checking that out. I'm going to be adding, uh, we're actually, oh, there's motion at my front door. Cool. Uh, we're actually adding uh, a couple of new. So if, if we can help in any way, um, we've been able to set up to where we can actually do transfers for you. So maybe uh, you're, you're still thinking about getting into sublimation. Uh, I'm happy to do transfer prints for you. I'm going to try to get some, some sample color charts uh, up today. So you can get, get those and check out that out so we can do some transfer prints for you. We're also going to uh, make wholesale printed mass, or you can have the blank mass. And we're also doing some uh, wholesale uh, direct-to-garment printing over there at montco.biz. So that's my quick pitch for you guys, if, if you wouldn't mind going and checking that out. Any feedback you have, I, I'm, I'm happy to take it, good, bad, or indifferent. Um, you know, what, what, uh, what can we do better to help and support your businesses? Obviously, one our main goal through our success group is to help provide information and training. Uh, but if we can also just go and um, help with any services that you guys need, you know, our our whole goal we have very specific goal that we make all of our decisions based off of, and that's to provide resources that empower over a thousand businesses to achieve their idea of success. And, uh, you know, so that's our goal. Once we get to a thousand, we're going to increase that to, to 10,000 or whatever. But right now we want to focus on our friends, the small business folks that we get to work with and, and interact with here on Facebook and otherwise. So if we see the picture of the thousand businesses, we want to help as you guys that are here and we, we go, okay, should we do this? And I go, okay, does Chuck or Terry or Angela or just looking at some of the comments that <laughs> pop out right in front of me. Uh, here, is this going to help their business? And if in my heart, it says yes, or if in Todd's heart, it says yes, then we do it and we try it. And, you know, we're, we fail a few things um, and we, we've done really well a few things. So it, it's it's just part of the process and, and we love doing that. So, um, all right, let's see here. What else? Uh, make sure I got all the comments before I cut it. Uh, Todd says, and cutting the transfer can help as well. That's a, that's a great point. Uh, getting rid of the excess paper. Um, I'll put this one up there real quick. So this particular print right here is actually a mug print. And you can see these little, whoops, I got my finger over the top of it. You see the little crop marks right there? So this template right here and I'm happy to share this with anybody if they want it. This template right here 
has got these little crop marks inside the template. It's a Photoshop template. So this is the exact center of the mug from, from over here. And then got the exact center of the mug from the handle over on this side. And if I cut to those crop marks, and you can actually buy paper in this size too and just print the paper in that size. If I cut to those crop marks, um, I'm going to cut it real quick, rough while we're sitting here because it's just a test sheet I did. Okay. A lefty with scissors, never, never clean. <laughs> but my wife bought me a really nice pair of scissors, so that helps. All right, last bit. And I, I'm off a little bit, but we're going to be close enough. Okay, get rid of those markers. All right, so if I put this on the mug, this should line up exactly handle to handle. And again, I didn't cut it exactly on the crop marks. But so I can just take this as it is, put this on a flat surface. That goes there. See the paper comes right to the handle. It should come right to the handle. And then there's no worrying about, am I, am I off center? Am I not off center on the green screen? This is really funny. Note to self, don't do product demos on a green screen. Okay. Um, so that kind of thing, cutting the transfers down, that's a great tip, Todd. And uh, Angela says link to the mass uh, right, right down this way, montco.biz. Check that out. Todd says, uh, got our DTG shirts and they look great. Awesome. Um, my heart says we need our own third-party ink. Yeah. Chuck, you have to fail some to succeed. Absolutely. In fact, I am of the impression and of the idea that, now I don't want to just go out and try to fail all the time, but everything that I've learned and all of the reading and all of the stuff I've been doing in the, the success world, success principle training that I'm going through, the more you fail, the more successful you're going to be because every one of those failures is an opportunity to learn something new and to do better. So honestly, the people that are probably the most successful out there, I would guess are the ones that have failed the most. <laughs> um, so uh, Jimmy Lamb always says that he's an expert at things only because he's failed more than anybody else. So <laughs> uh, I think that's a funny thing to, to say. And I, and I believe that's true. So yeah, get out there, try things. Uh, that's why I love watching Tuesdays with Todd. Some of the things he does, I just cringe. Um, but he's willing to give it a try. And, and I'm going, oh, man, I was cringing going, oh, I'd never do that. Don't do that. Oh, my God, don't do that. And then it succeeds. And I go, damn, I should have tried that. <laughs> so do that same thing yourself. Don't be don't be afraid to uh, to try some things, to break some things and uh, and get out there. All right, guys, I think that's plenty. Uh, and uh, yeah, hour and 15 minutes, which was supposed to be a 30 minute conversation. Thank you guys so much. I appreciate everybody being here this morning. Have a great rest of your Saturday. If you need anything, uh, check us out at oursuccessgroup.com. And uh, let's see what's coming up here. Uh, the next thing I believe on the, on the agenda is going to be Tuesdays with Todd. And that's at five o'clock central time. And you can check it out right at liveosg.com. And uh, then on Wednesday, we'll be back with Q&A, uh, Q&A with TNA. And um, let's see here. Then Friday, back with two regular guys. Yeah, so I think that's what's coming up. So look for, uh, look for Todd on Tuesday at 5 o'clock at liveosg.com. 
and I, I will see you guys next week. Um, last week, if you were viewing the ask how to ask show, um, the ask that I had was that you guys reach out to me and tell me what you want to hear. So I will continue to have that open ask. So the specific of the ask is reach out to me, tell me what bit of information would be helpful for your business or helpful for you. I, heck, it doesn't have to be for your business, helpful for you personally. Whatever that one piece of information that seems to be a struggle in your life right now, what is, what is that? What is it that you're looking for? Reach out to me and let me know. And if I can't just quickly answer it there for you, um, or, or we'll make it a small business Saturday, or maybe it's something better where Tuesday would talk, whatever. Just that's my ask of you guys. If you could let me know what it is that uh, you're struggling with and uh, we'll, we'll take it from there and see what we can do and we'll do it together. All right. Awesome. High five to you guys. Have a great day. Have a wonderful Saturday. And uh, if, uh, if you haven't checked it out, I, I think it was Becky who mentioned that uh, Condi's uh, virtual open house is happening today. So definitely worth checking out if you're a sublimator. All right. Have a wonderful day, everybody. Bye-bye. Thanks for tuning into another episode of Small Business Saturday Podcast. We appreciate having you as part of the community of listeners. Tune in for the live video sessions at facebook.com slash aaronmontgomery.info to become part of the active community. You can contact me directly at aaron at montcoconsulting.com. Thanks again for listening.